0: Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you have sent your son and he has risen again. Lord, we know that this is something that happened in time, that this is part of our history as a world. And yet, Lord, we also know it's personal for us because because he has risen, we have that personal relationship with you. Father, we praise you and we thank you for that. We, We pray that as we would open up your word this morning, that that truth, that reality would become more real in our hearts. That the reality in our hearts would cause us to to live differently, to to see differently, to love differently. That we would walk out of these doors different than the the way we walked in. Lord, come into our presence now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, growing up, I used to love to play sports quite a bit. Growing up, I, I used to love to play street hockey, kickball, things like that. And I used to love to, to play sports in gym class in particular until I got to high school. In high school, we played a whole bunch of different sports, but the one I hated the most was dodgeball. For those of you who may not be familiar with this game, it's, it's a very fun game where the gym teacher separates his class, puts a whole bunch of playground balls in the middle and tells them all to go at it, to start throwing the balls back and forth and hitting each other. And. <clears throat> To my gym teachers, uh, you know, in, in his defense, I'm sure he had some intentionality with the way he split up the two teams. But the way he did it, um, I always felt like he teamed up the athletic kids versus the unathletic kids. To make matters worse, we always played in gym class shirts versus skins. So as you can imagine, uh, for a young adolescent boy standing in a class of ninth and 10th graders, of, of, of other guys who've had an extra year to, to grow and mature, uh, It was a bit intimidating and and, and a bit fearful of when that ball comes at you, you're going to get pegged. It's going to hurt that much more if you're on the skins team. So as our gym teacher lines us up into the two teams, you can imagine what we're all thinking. We're all hoping that the gym teacher will put us on the team with the kid who's got all the power. More importantly, we want to make sure that we end up on the team with the kid who's been growing a mustache since, since fifth grade and stands a foot taller than us. This is the kid you don't want to be standing opposite of when he goes to wind up and throw the ball at you. The fact of the matter is we live in a world of two competing powers. There's very simply Coke versus Pepsi, Yankees versus Red Sox, living for this world or living for eternity, shirts or skins. It mattered to me that I landed on the dodgeball team with the person who had the most power. Just as it matters to me that I'm a part of a body in this world that has as its head one who holds all power and authority. Whether we recognize it or not, our heart's true desire is to be a part of this team. Our heart's true desire is to belong in a place that's connected with the true authority in this life. And in our passage this this morning, we're going to take a closer look at this relationship between Jesus and his body. Last week, Pastor Dave introduced us to the blessing of growing in our knowledge of Jesus. As a result of... Knowing him more deeply, we have hope. We have an inheritance of grace, forgiveness, love, and knowledge, and of course, power. This is an inheritance that will not crack, that will not fade, that will not go away. Today, we're going to consider more deeply the the power we have in the church with Jesus at our head. Turn with me in our pew Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. This can be found on page 976 of your pew Bible. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to continue what Paul was actually praying that Pastor Dave spoke about last week. This is one really long sentence beginning in verse 15, uh, as the beginning of our chapter was like, another long sentence. And he wraps up this prayer by saying these words found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. He says, he put all things under his feet. So God put everything under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is the source of power and authority because God has placed all things under Jesus' feet. He's placed them as head over his church. Now, the words found here in verse 22 are actually a quote of David back in Psalm chapter 8. There in Psalm chapter 8, he says this, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and put all things under his feet. You see, God has given mankind a special position, a special role in his created order. This psalm of David was written to celebrate God's goodness toward man both male and female, in setting them apart from the rest of his creation. This psalm of David uh, was a very important one that the people in Paul's time would have known well. God's not only crowned us with glory and honor, but he's given us dominion over all of God's creation and put all things under mankind's feet. Now this picture of dominion—I don't know if it's going to—oh, good, it comes through clear back there. This picture of dominion of all things being placed under our feet is a phrase that Paul's listeners would have been familiar with from the ancient Near East, from their time, from from their time in history. See, when a king defeated an opposing nation, he would put all people of that nation under his feet. He would scatter them throughout his kingdom and put them in subjection to him. Their purpose was meant to serve the conquering king. In God's original plan for his people, he placed all of his creation under mankind's God gave mankind the responsibility to be stewards of his authority over his creation. In the Garden of Eden, all things were put under the feet of mankind, and mankind lived peacefully under God's authority. There was an intentional chain of command, if you would. Being created in God's image, we were his image bearers throughout all of his creation. This peaceful paradise was a gift from God to mankind, a gift we were to steward faithfully. Well, if we look in the beginning of Genesis, sorry, in the the first chapter, verses 26 through 28, we read these words. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in in his own image, in the image of God, He created them, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Let it be in subjection. Kind of put. Be, let it be under the feet of man, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth." These words were echoed by the psalmist back in chapter eight, verse six. When David said, you've given him dominion over the works of your hands, you've put all things under his feet. David was celebrating this role that God had given man to play in his creation. But this type of stewardship, this authority that God has given mankind was not intended to be treated as a conquering king would treat his authority over a conquered nation. A king who's conquered a nation would scatter his people throughout the kingdom to lessen their memory of the culture and the nation they came from. The king would make them servants and slaves, working not for themselves, but for the king himself. Now God's intention in man subduing his creation was a command to steward in a different way. Jesus taught a different type of authority, dominion, and subjection. He taught not a heavy handed authority, but we, we hear him teach on this in Matthew chapter 20. Sorry, there we go. He says, Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercised authority over them. They, they put the people under their feet like that picture. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When God called us to subdue his creation, to have dominion and authority, he called us to steward with a heart toward servanthood and care. So what are the things that you've been given to steward? I think it's easy to think of examples of our time or our money, our resources. God has given us certain things to tend to, such as our finances, what we give back to God, what we give to others, what we save to live off of. What about stewarding our relationships, such as our marriages, our children, our friendships, our coworkers, our employees, our students? What about stewarding the gift of life both inside our own bodies and outside of our bodies? God's given us many things that we could be stewards of. Can we steward the physical creation God's given us for future generations to enjoy? Or what about our faith? Can we steward our faith? Can we be intentional about watering, tending to, and nurturing our faith so that it grows? Can we be intentional about protecting our faith, guarding our hearts? What about stewarding your gifts, your skills, your abilities? Now, if I may offer a word of caution here, putting our gifts and resources away in a bank or keeping them out, uh, protected from the public, it's not the same as good stewardship. If you remember the story of the parable of the talents, this is a picture of the responsibility in caring for the things that we do not own. This is the picture that God wants for us to take hold of. In this story, Jesus tells of a landowner who's going away on a trip, and he leaves five talents, five coins to one servant, two talents, two coins to another servant, and one coin to the third. In the story, Jesus explains that the talents are given to each servant based on their unique abilities and giftedness. You stop and think about that for a minute. Has God created you with a unique ability and giftedness? The easy answer is for me. Yes, he has. The hard answer is for you. What is that unique giftedness and ability? It's not a bad question to consider what it is that God has uniquely gifted you for in the building up of his kingdom. Well, if you've ever read that story in Matthew 25, you know that the two of the servants stewarded their talents by going out and trading and making a profit with those talents. They used those talents. They used the gifts that were given to them by the landowner and made a profit. The third servant, well, he buried his talent in the ground to protect it, but it sat in the ground away from the world away from trade and he did nothing with it well can you guess what the landowner's response was when he returned the one who who buried his talent in the ground he, he didn't steward his talent at all he abused the power given to him by the landowner while the other stewards or the other servants sorry were greeted with these words of the landowner there in Matthew chapter 25 verse 21 he says this well done good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The fruit of stewarding our gifts well is receiving joy, joy from the one who created us. You know, we've all been given something to steward, and good stewardship is caring for the things that are not ours but are God's, given to us for the purposes God has intended. Unfortunately, God's plan to have Adam and Eve steward his creation in the peace of the Garden of Eden did not last forever. Mankind proved our inability to steward God's creation well. And in the history of it all, we misused the dominion and the authority and power God had given us. We misused the things that God placed under our feet and put in subjection to us. You remember the story from the Garden of Eden, right? Instead of properly stewarding the fruit from the tree of good and evil, Adam and Eve ate of the tree, abusing their authority before God. Instead of properly stewarding the paradise God had given mankind, mankind wanted to be like God. Mankind wanted their own authority apart from God rather than living under the umbrella of God's love and order. Man's journey apart from God has begun, and sin has entered the world. But get this. When God's telling Adam and Eve, And Satan in the garden, the results of their actions. The curse that they now would take upon themselves. God says this to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. One day the offspring of Eve will bruise the head of the offspring of Satan. One day the offspring of Satan, death and sin, will bruise the heel of Jesus the offspring of Eve. Jesus will put the offspring of Satan under his foot and will bruise the head of Satan. But guess what? What happens when Jesus puts his foot on the head of Satan? Satan is under the authority and the power of Jesus. This passage is a foreshadowing of Jesus' victory over death and over Satan. And here's the good news. The foreshadowing of Jesus' victory over death and evil has come. In the passage from last week, Pastor Dave shared these words from Ephesians chapter 1, the previous two verses to our passage this morning. So if you're still there on page 976, you'll see these words. Starting in verse 21, he says, He, or God, raised him, Jesus, from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come in Jesus's resurrection death has been defeated God has reestablished his authority in Jesus and placed, his, uh, placed Jesus as head over his church forget the six-foot 10 10th grader with the mustache on my on my dodgeball team not that he was six foot 10 but he was six foot and in 10th grade with a mustache of course we've got Jesus as the head of our team Jesus Christ who sits above every rule and authority power and dominion physical or spiritual. Jesus himself claims his authority as he's commissioning us his disciples to go out into the world and make more disciples. Remember, there at the end of Matthew he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. This brings comfort for me and encouragement in a world where there's international turmoil, corrupt governments and leaders and decaying uh, corrupt leaders and, le- and and decaying morals and values. We're called to obey our government's laws and leaders, but those authorities in our lives, they must submit to a higher authority, to the authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Paul says to the church in Philippi, he says there in chapter 2, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's our authority to the glory of God the Father. With Jesus Christ as the head of his body, with all things placed under his feet, we have the freedom to grow. And we have the freedom to grow others. With confidence, we can grow as disciples and make more disciples because the head of our church, Jesus Christ himself, has won. He's defeated death and all things that attempt to hold our hearts captive. Sin and death have been defeated. The war is over and the body of Jesus. His church has been given, given authority by the head of the church, to root out the remaining strongholds of evil and sin and set the captives free. There's a story told uh, from World War II that in the battle over the Pacific, there was an island called Palau. There, the the Japanese embedded themselves in caves that they dug out of the land. There's this whole network of caves and tunnels, and, and there they hid from the coming allies. Now, ultimately, we know the allies were victorious, The war was won, Japan was defeated. But amazingly, two years after the war ended, two years after the Allies had won the war and peace had been declared, 38 Japanese soldiers exited those caves and surrendered to Allied forces. Two years after the war was over, peace had been declared. The war was over, but somebody needed to tell those 38 Japanese soldiers. The war is over. God is victorious over Satan. His head has been crushed and placed under the feet of Jesus. As Paul encourages his listeners later on this very letter, in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, finally, "...be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil." For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We wrestle with these powers, but don't ever be discouraged because Jesus has promised to never leave us nor forsake his followers. This very same Jesus, he's been given authority over these powers, these these principalities. Be strong in the Lord. And the strength of his might. But if we're to be image bearers of God, we need to bear the image of God. That's kind of seems simple and, and maybe doesn't seem to need to be said, but I think it needs to be stated. If we're to be image bearers of God, we need to bear the image of God. The goal of the Christian life is to be conformed to the image of Christ so that we are God's representatives of his love, his justice, his grace and forgiveness in this world. There are still soldiers who are hiding in captivity. There are hearts that need to be set free to know that the war is over. And so as we grow in Christlikeness, we can grow others in Christ. We can declare that victory. We can remind them of the love and forgiveness and security they find in Christ, in Christ alone. And when Jesus is head over his body, it is he that fills us, He fills his church with himself. In his letter to the Colossian church, Paul writes these words. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In Jesus the fullness of God dwells, and we as his followers are filled with him and by him. Jesus is the active agent filling us. We're not filling ourselves. Consider our passage this morning in Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 22, he says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. And here in verse 23, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus was given to the church to fill it up with himself. And in being filled with Christ we're transformed. We grow. As we're filled with Christ, we're empowered to draw others to Christ. We grow others. We go wide. I was talking with Pastor Dave a couple weeks ago, and he shared with me the vision statement for our church. I don't know. You may know this already. You probably do. I'm, I'm, it's new to me. I'm, I'm coming to learn many things about Trinity in my time here, and we've loved it. But the vision of our church is to be a growing community of God-first believers. That's our vision. That's where we want to go as a church. That's where we want to be. That's where we, we hope to be, uh, maybe now, but also in the future. To be more so a community, a growing community of God-first believers. Not just growing as individuals, but growing as a community. That we're, we're, we're welcoming people into this community, that they too can be God-first believers. Putting God first in their life. Well, we've, de- we've decided that we can pursue this vision as a church by embracing this mission. These three things as our mission that we would experience the love of God as a community, that we would embrace the truth of God in community, and that we would enlist in the service of God as a community. Growing into a God-first believer, we're filled by Jesus, spiritually transformed into his image, and set apart for God. This is the nature of a relationship of a follower to Jesus, because he's the head of the church. An acorn, the seed of an oak tree, is filled with the DNA of an oak tree. An acorn is planted— Roots grow down deep, and the trees grow up strong in the world, producing more acorns and more oak trees. This is the picture of what it means to be holy, to be filled with God and by God, and set apart for the purposes of God. Are we a community that is growing as God-first believers and growing by inviting others into this relationship with Jesus, where we can make God first in our lives? Let's explore what this might look like by considering our mission statement as a church. As a church, we'll seek to experience the love of God. Paul writes a beautiful prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 that I would encourage you to spend more time in, but at the end of the prayer, he writes these words. He he, he encourages them to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The result of knowing the love of Christ is being filled with the fullness of God. We're filled with a loving purpose, a clear understanding of our value, and a confidence in our identity as a loved, adopted, and redeemed child of God. James Bryan Smith states in his book, Embracing the Love of God, God loves me just as I am, not as I should be. I know that I am not as I should be. I know there is a lot of sin that still needs to be rooted out of me. I know that God is not finished with me yet, but I know that I am loved. He quotes Donald McCullough, and he says, we may have more failures than achievements, we may not be wealthy or powerful, we may not even be happy, but we are nonetheless accepted by God, held in his hands. Such is the promise to us in Jesus Christ, a promise we can trust. The truth of the matter is that this is very hard for any of us to accept, to believe, and it's a stumbling block to overcome before we can accept God's love. We have a hard time accepting the words of Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where he says, God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we can't even accept ourselves the way we look or the way we sound or the things we've done, how can God accept us, right? That's the way we think. But God can accept us because that is who God is. God is love. As part of the body of Christ, when we are a community that makes experiencing the love of God a priority for ourselves and for others, we're pursuing a life that seeks to be filled by God. We're a community that seeks to be filled by God's love. So, we desire to be a church that experiences God's love together. And then the second part of our mission statement we desire to be a church that seeks to embrace the truth of God in community. You know, we live in a world that questions whether there really is even a truth. Turn on the news and you'll find an ever-changing definition of love and family or a value of life. But in our union with Jesus, we're filled with the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In drawing near to Christ and our relationship with him, we're filled with truth. In, in John chapter 8, Jesus says this to his followers. He says, If you abide in my word... If you abide in me, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We find truth in this relationship with Jesus. With Jesus as our authority and our power, as we sit under his feet, he pours himself into our lives, he pours his love, he pours his truth into us. As a growing community of God-first believers, we embrace the truth of God as we draw near to Christ and are filled by him. We also experience the love of God in community, and finally, we enlist in the service of God. God's invited us to join him in the greatest service we can be a part of. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. When we're filled with Christ, when we seek to be filled with more of him, we're in effect laying down our life, our own agendas, our own priorities, and being filled with the life, the purpose, and the agenda of Christ. When we're making God our first priority and are filled with Christ, we take on this commission that Jesus shared with his disciples at the end of uh, Matthew. There he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. But don't miss these powerful words that follow that statement. And behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. We're able to be faithful participants in this commission, in the service of God, exactly because Jesus is with us and is filling us. At Trinity, we are a part of the body of Christ in that we seek to be a growing community of God-first believers by making Jesus the head, our authority. And as he fills us, as he fills this church, his body, we seek to experience the love of God with others, embrace the truth of God in community, and list in the service of God together. This week, I wonder if you would consider what God might be inviting you to experience in a new and fresh way in your relationship with him. I'm confident that God wants to pour out his love and his grace into your hearts this week. He wants you to see yourself the way he sees you, not as you see yourself or as the world portrays you. He wants you to see him, see yourself as he sees you. As his dearly beloved children, God gave his son authority over all things in heaven and earth so that we might be free to draw near to him, to experience his love, to embrace his truth, and enlist in his services as we make him our first priority. Maybe there's one person that God's putting on your heart this week. Pray that God would create an opportunity for you to share the experience of God's love with them. Ask God to fill you and show you how you might offer a tangible expression of God's love to that person. We offer numerous opportunities to grow and uh, embrace the truth of God here. I want to encourage you to consider joining a small church. If you aren't already doing that in a small church, you you can experience the love of God, embrace the truth of God by going deeper into his word, and even enlist in the service of God together. Or maybe this week you can consider one simple and small way that God's inviting you to enlist in his service. Maybe it's to bring a meal to a neighbor going through a hard time. Maybe it's to go out of your way to say hello to someone who otherwise seems secluded and alone. I know when I was in school walking down the halls, sometimes you'll see that kid who goes to his locker, who stands alone, who, who sits alone at lunch. Maybe God's inviting you to go sit next to them this week. You don't have to have a lengthy conversation, but just sit next to them. There's power in feeling like we are not alone, and it's a great part of the service of God. Pray that God would give you open eyes and ears to the needs around you, and then pour out your unique gifts and abilities. Steward those gifts and abilities well. And whatever you do this week, remember that none of it is done in your own strength. It's the direct result of the overflow of God's love in your own life. Lean into the foundation, the fountain of God's love and his grace that we find in Jesus. He's our authority and our strength. And because of him and what he did for us, we can become a growing community of God-first believers in Fairfield, in Fairfield County, in Connecticut, and to the ends of the world. Before we, we close in prayer, there is one more thing that I neglected to share. None of this is possible without surrender. Our lives will not be open to receive and be filled with him if we're not willing to surrender and live in a posture to receive from him. Not sure if you believe me. Go home. Take out a cup with a top on it. I've got plenty at my house. There's sippy cups. Man, I feel like we've got more of those than adult cups. Go home and take one of these cups with a top on it. Put it under the faucet. And turn on the sink and see what happens. All that water bounces off the top, runs down the side and into the sink. Jesus himself surrendered his life and his own will to God. On the night before he was crucified on a cross, he prayed in the garden and said, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me, but not as I will, let your will be done. Jesus died on the cross. He surrendered his life with a posture of surrender because of love. Love for his Father in heaven and love for you and for me. Is there something that is keeping you from fully surrendering your life to Christ? Surrender your will, surrender your own agenda, and be filled with Jesus this day, who has authority over everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Be filled with the love of God, the purposes of God, and take hold of your inheritance of hope, grace, forgiveness, and knowledge. This is power, and it all comes from Jesus this very day as we surrender our lives before him and place ourselves under his feet. Let's pray together. Father God, we are grateful. Lord, it, it is easy to go about our lives at times thinking that we are doing things in our own power, our own strength, and in our own authority. Lord, there is, uh, admittedly so, a part of me inside that, that is prideful in thinking that I can do things in my own strength and abilities, that I have power. And yet, Lord, I find freedom in knowing that power and authority is in you alone, and that you've invited me to sit at your feet. You've invited all of us to sit under your feet. Lord, I pray for us this morning. I pray for those of us who are not with us this morning, that you would give us hearts to, to see and understand that all power and authority truly lies in your hands, and we can find freedom in placing our lives at your feet. As we go out this week, Lord, give us the strength and the ability, the wisdom and the knowledge to see the gift we have in Jesus Christ, to sit under his feet. We pray these things in his name. Amen.